Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Freud is Freud is a stylist. Freud is a, Freud is a Viennese writer of like the 1900s. You know, he's an amazing... Uh, prose stylist. I mean, it's unfortunate that his trans, his trans, the translation into English is often very plonky, but his German is very beautiful. But you know, he's, a, he's a great polymath. He's drawing on like myth and history and, you know, draw, and science. You know, he saw himself fundamentally as a scientist. But, and I think he said that, that you know, the science wasn't, wasn't there for what he wanted to explore. And, um, you know, so... I mean, a lot of Freud is you know, just out of his head. It's not, not even based particularly on a very wide sample. It's all neurotic Viennese housewives. But nonetheless, you know, he was an incredible thinker at, at, at the time that you know, what was going on in the world. Um, an incredibly fruitful thinker. And what, what's interesting, I think, about Freud's basic um, notion about how the mind works. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, there's... You know, there's these three parts, it's this tripartite model. There's the id, what he calls das S, the, the it in German, the it, which is like our primal desires, which we could call um, panxeps emotions, the affects. And then there is the uh, um, ego, which is the kind of, the sort of, if you like, the, the kind of thing that stops the... Um, the id from exploding and for us from doing all this kind of crazy emotional behavior. And then on top of that, there's the superego, which is like the kind of meta metacognition, the thinking about thinking. And it's the tension in, in Freud's model between the kind of um, societal and cultural imperatives of the, the superego, i.e., you mustn't do this, and men mustn't love men, and that's really sinful, and, you know, you mustn't kiss boys, that's very, you know, these are the super-ego things. And then these strong desires, these id or um, kind of emotional desires that come up. And then sandwiched in between is the sort of poor ego that has to sort of modulate between these two, two things. And very interestingly... <clears throat> in, uh, I'm sure you're aware of this, in, in contemporary neuroscience, uh, something very similar emerges from the neuroscientific um, uh, discoveries. You know, we have this, the ancient brain, the brainstem, with all these emotional kind of patterns in it. And then we have the prefrontal cortex, that's the sort of rind of our, of our brain, which is much later and which has all these thoughts and impositions and language-based um, ideas, which could be the superego. And then in between, we have what's known as the default mode network, which is this sort of kind of modulating uh, system which joins those two parts, the, the kind of bits in the core of the brain and the stuff in the rind. And you know, in, in some ways, I mean, it's, it's very rough, but the, you know, the, the default mode network is kind of like the ego. 
Now when, when we go to sleep, the default mode network stops, it goes offline. When people do psychedelics, the default mode network goes offline. And we have this sense of kind of everything goes, like the ego, the id, the, uh, you know, the old brain, the emotions just whoosh, they spill out and you feel terror and you feel desire. This is why our dream life is so crazy, because the default mode network is, has gone offline. And so in some ways, this balance between a very controlling prefrontal cortex, that's the superego, and the very powerful id, is played out in this middle ground of the ego. So we, we, kind of, we need to let in a bit of emotion and let off too much control. So there's a very powerful uh, new model in the, sort of, in the world at the moment, around free energy. I don't know if you're aware of that. Free energy model? No. It's an interesting, again, it comes from brain science. Basically, it's this idea of entropy. You know, this word, this word entropy from, from physics. So entropy is the, the tendency for everything to just become more and more disorganized. So that's the rule of, you know, it's this, I think, second rule of thermodynamics. That any system, when you leave it, will slowly become more and more disorganized. So, for example, a hot cup of tea will gradually, the, the heat will slowly disperse and will come disperse through the universe. So the heat kind of becomes entropic. And, and there's this idea that the brain is a bit like that too. You know, we have high entropy states, which are when everything is really chaotic. So in a dream, for example, lots of entropy Everything's like crazy, 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 lots of feelings and emotions. I mean, for example, if you were you know, you're dreaming or um, doing, doing a psychedelic, same sort of things like complete or psychosis, complete kind of like entropy, chaos. And then very low entropy is where it's like everything's very strict. So in people with OCD, for example, or depression, really. You know, it's like everything is like shut down, no emotions, no feelings, nothing, everything must be controlled. Addiction too, it's like everything focused on just getting this fix. So that's very low entropy. So there's, it's, it's tightly, tightly controlled. And in Freud's world, that's the, the pain inflicted by a, a, a overzealous or over patriarchal, really, because it's like it's the male, in Freud's world, it's the male that it, um, father energy that kind of uh, clamps down, that's the superego. And the other end, the id, uh, is the sort of uh, high entropy. It's like everything's free and crazy. And then in the middle, you've got this poor e the ego, which is what we work with in meditation, really, is this like, well, it's sort of the balancing ground. Okay, we have to, we want, we don't want to be too high entropy, because then that's psychosis. Nor do we want to be too low entropy, because that's OCD, depression, and anxiety disorder. So, you know, neuroscience is exploring, it's really fascinating, this, this sort of mid-entropy state, which in some ways is what meditation is, is looking at. It's lowering the rigidity of the default mode network enough so that you can feel things you know, just spontaneously happening but not removing the, uh, the ego, the 
the no, the default mode network so much that you're just you become psychotic. So in some sense, Freud was right. You know, the, <laughs> he was he was a hundred years too early, because if he was writing now, he would be you know, totally like told you so. <laughs> that's that's exactly what's coming out of neuroscience. And it, you know, for me, it makes sense. It makes it's a great model for living. Well, of course, Freud's, I mean, perhaps Freud's error, if I should be so grand as to say, Freud's error was to see that the id, you know, the s, the, 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 the primal brain was about sex, was about the lust spoke of, um, of Pangsep's uh, thing, the enjoying. You know, it was about the pleasure principle, what he calls the pleasure principle. So it's about having sex. You know, he, you know, all of Freud's thinking was driven on this idea, this rather pneumatic idea of, of sexual energy rising and being repressed by the superego. So he, he understood that the S, the, the, the id, was full of sexual desire. And, it, and it's, in some sense, if you look at the spoke, the, the enjoying spoke is what is lust. And so... You could say one seventh of the of the id is made up of lust, but Freud didn't consider the other parts. But later Freudians or later psychoanalysts, people like Bowlby, um, did. They saw that caring and panic and grief were as important as lust. Well, interestingly, you know, it feels that now that the the pendulum's gone a bit the other way. Um, attachment theory says that only caring and panic and fear are the things that determine us. They are the id. But I think that's also a bit too extreme because there are other things that come out of you know, Pangsep's work show that there are seven things that kind of well up out of the id and that the uh, ego and the superego deal with. But, you know human interaction, you know, the whole basis of attachment theory is that it's, it's not sex, it's actually care and abandonment. These are the things that drive us. Attachment. Um, and, that, and there's a lot of evidence, clinical evidence, to show that that's true. But I, I think there are other things, you know, play, rage, sex, seeking, because the seeking spoke is interesting. Sorry, I'm really going off on one there. Because if you think about uh, attachment, attachment is absolutely crucial in the first three years of a human life, much longer than any other animal. You know, we really need to be attached to our caregivers, otherwise we will literally die. But um, there's also seeking, like moving away from our attachment figures is also very important as we, as we develop. It's very important that we kind of are able to separate from our attachment figures at some point. Otherwise, we become over-attached, which is perhaps the basis of a lot of psychological suffering. And it's interesting that, again, Panksepp notices that, in, uh, particularly in males, that the feelings of panic become much less strong as they get older, as they approach adolescence. You can think about this in terms of you know, animals, and I'm, I'm not being sexist, and this is just what comes out of the research, is that you know, male animals move away and leave the tribe 
So they're not so concerned about being ostracized, which is essentially the kind of the grief panic uh, spoke. They're like, I don't care, I'm going to break away. And again, Freud had something interesting in, uh, to say about this in the Totem and Taboo uh, book, where he talks about how it's essential that we, we basically kill our fathers, metaphorically. We, we leave the tribe, we, we leave the system of um, being part of a tribe and break away. This is you know, absolutely essential in growing up. And all the indigenous tribes uh, and societies that uh, make, particularly men, but often sometimes women too, go through um, initiation rites into adulthood is, is, is a good example of that. That they're thrown out of the family in a symbolic way. So that same thing as when mother bears... When bear cubs are old enough to survive and they're very attached to their mothers, the mothers chase them up into a tree and then leave, leave them. At some point, the, the attachment system has to stop mattering as much. Which is why it's perhaps, you know, also a slight distortion in the attachment theory world that that's the only thing that matters. It's not the only thing that matters. It's really important, particularly in our early life, but... It's not the only thing that drives human beings. I mean, I think the trouble with Freud, and this is going to sound really arsy, but the trouble with Freud is that he's often really badly translated. Lytton yeah. Strachey, who first translated him, he basically wanted Freud to be a scientist, so he, just, he translated it in this horrible, latinate, um, scientific, cod scientific way. And that became the kind of standard translation. But actually, Freud's German is very, very earthy. It's beautiful. It's beautifully written. And uh, there are some better translations. I think Peter Gay's translations are better, the more modern ones. Yeah. I think Peter Gay uses the word the it rather than the id. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> mm. Ooh, it's nice to talk about... Freud. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to join our live sessions, you can at mindsprings-practicespace.org. Also, if you feel inspired to give us a review or a rating, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people find us.